My guest today is a meteorologist for KHOU 11. Please welcome Addison Green. Addison, how's it going? Oh, very good, Rodolfo. How are you doing this Saturday? Hey, doing all right. Doing good, man. Doing good. Thanks for asking and thanks for coming on to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. <laughs> great, great. So, hey, let's jump right into this. What do you do? I am a meteorologist for KHOU 11 News in the Houston metro area, and I've been here for officially a year as of yesterday. So it's been a very fun time, very busy time, of course, with everything going on in the pandemic and whatnot, to be here in Texas for my first time here for a year. But my station has been handling everything wonderfully. And I have been enjoying some fun times with my coworkers, whether we get the chance for working together or working remotely as we are doing this interview right now. <laughs> but I've been with the team for a year now, coming in from New York City. And I've been a meteorologist on air for roughly about nine years now. Yeah, about nine years now. I've been in this business for a little over a decade. So it's, it's been a, been a crazy past couple of years for me moving all over the country, but it's been fun so far. Well, great. Congrats on being at KHOU 11 for the past year. That's awesome. And let's back up a little bit. Sure. Have you always had a strong interest in science and the atmosphere, things of that nature? Yeah, I, w I would definitely think so. Uh, ever since I was a little kid and often meteorologists that I've come across in conversations, because there's always that question of what got you into the business? What right. got you into the passion for meteorology? And everyone always has their own origin story. And mine comes in from being a, a kid out on Long Island, just east of New York City and watching Hurricane Gloria slam right into the island. I was about maybe four or five years old and watching my parents prepare the household with taping up windows, boarding things up, tying things down. And uh, this was in 1985. And uh, it always stuck on the back of my mind about how like crazy it was and energetic to see this un situation unfold. And while I had other uh, options that I wanted to pursue as I was getting through my teenage years and college years, I eventually decided to settle on meteorology and I've been enjoying it since. It's definitely a thrill to not just see your work around you, but to get to bring people into that world by talking about how the weather impacts their day-to-day -day lifestyle. And it uh, really is a nice treat to step outside and be like, oh, look, my forecast, verify, boom, there we go. Sunshine right. or storm, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yes, definitely, definitely needed. And that's interesting that four years old, that hurricane, and that basically shaped your life. You figured out from there that this is a path that I want to go down. Now, there are several specialized areas of study, though, for meteorologists that they can be involved mm -hmm. in. So what made you decide to broadcast meteorology as, as an area that you wanted to go into? You know, it kind of just fell in my path, so to speak. There was the various options for the reference for meteorology. There's the private sector. Uh, you could be working for a company, say, like an agricultural company that needs no crop data, needs no forecast data for those crops. You can go down in towards the research sector, working for various computer model laboratories, or maybe working with NOAA and the government. And then that essence being one of the key guys that develops forecast tools that all of us meteorologists use around the country. Or there was the also the forensic path where you can use your meteorology expertise 
and taking evidence and research data and applying that to legal matters. But I found myself being more and more curious with the TV side of things. I think just because I was a little more familiar with it, just growing up watching television, my parents are both big TV news addicts. So there was always a TV on in the household of news on. I was always seeing the weather. And then just the option in terms of how to move into that industry was more readily available where I had a chance to go for a TV internship when I was living in the University of Albany's campus. And there just uh, kind of all paid itself out for me. Nice. Okay, great. And thanks for breaking that down to different areas of meteorology. That was great. Now, for you, can you explain just the whole process going Mm -hmm. from obtaining the weather data, analyzing it, producing reports, interpretations, all of that? Sure, sure. Various meteorologists, think of it as like a relay race, keep handing the information from one to the other to the other until you get the final product, whether it's what you see on the TV mm-hmm. or what you see in terms of your mobile app, what you get is the end product of dozens of meteorologists continuously working around the clock from the data scientists that prepare the computer models that all this atmospheric data is then ingested into. The meteorologists then look at all that information the computer models, use their own expertise, say they're working out of a National Weather Service, they make the regional forecast and they give their description of what they are thinking of, how things are, how things are going to play out. And then us broadcast meteorologists take that information with our own expertise and then make that in towards our own forecast, whether they're for a TV station, a local newspaper, a local radio station. We're all generally looking at the same data, but it's a question of who is analyzing it, what computer model they use to be their reference for the information and then how they present it to the audience. That's the the big difference right there. Okay, great. Now you mentioned the computer models. Has the computer models, the satellites, radars, things of that nature, any type of technology that use, has that changed over the years since you've been in the business? Uh, Yeah, considerably so, especially as computers have gotten more and more sophisticated, technology has gotten much more advanced exponentially over the past 20 years that we have seen times in terms of the information getting out to the meteorologists and the public shortened, as well as that crucial information for when, say, there's a tornado warning in your vicinity getting lengthened. And so now you can maybe get a warning as much as 20, 30 minutes that you have a potential destructive tornado coming towards you, where 20, 30 years ago, you may have had about five minutes or so, give or take because you didn't have as much data, didn't have as much information to work with. So as the computers have gotten more and more sophisticated, our tools and our knowledge have gotten much more vast. It's only helped to have meteorologists become much better forecasters and being uh, much more prepared to deliver the information to the general audience. Okay, that's great. That's good. It's good for us and good for you. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. yeah. Now, do you occasionally work outdoors to present severe weather coverage? On occasion, in my previous jobs, I've had had more of an opportunity or there was more of a need to be out there in the field. Generally speaking, most TV stations have their meteorologists in-house. They have their experts in-house. So that way, the reporters or the anchors out in the field or in the studio can always go to that meteorologist and get the information they need and the audience can get the coverage they need. Because when you're in the field, you run the risk of potentially being cut off from the station, your signal perhaps, or maybe 
left out per, uh, out of a viewer's range where you are maybe stuck. Say uh, floodwaters have cut you off and you can't get out of your vicinity and now you're in harm's way. So generally speaking, TV stations usually keep their meteorologists in-house. But in past situations where I was working at a national TV station, Weather Nation, based out of Denver, Colorado, I was found myself storm chasing several times or even going out of the studio building and reporting in the weather that was right outside our window. It was just more of a necessity of who's available and what the situation arose. And uh, management's never going to send you into a life-threatening situation. You always right. want to make sure that your staff is at the utmost safe and out of harm's way and they're able to deliver the information whenever it is possible and if you hear that crack of thunder or you see that big wave crash in your short nope you turn your tail and you get out yeah now with that when you were at weather nation uh, and mm -hmm. storm chasing do you have any incidents or, or events that you can talk about um, I think that a couple of the weather situations that I was involved with out in the field that stand out where I was in Joplin, Missouri, well known for a massively destructive tornado that occurred. I'm trying to think of the actual time frame, but several years ago, and I was out there covering a similar scenario unfolding roughly four years after that tornado had tore through town. I was actually in that town for a separate storm chasing trip uh, on my own, and I narrowly missed getting oh, wow. into that destructive pathway of the tornado. Thankfully, me and my team were able to get out of harm's way. So to be back there in that same situation, sort of with that potential tornadic risk increasing over time, definitely felt my heart rate running up a little bit more so than I like, but that one definitely stands out. And I was also caught in my first, I guess, Midwestern plane situation for a blizzard where normally a blizzard, you have the winds gusting around, the snow's blowing around, but if you're like in a city or if you're like in a hilly area, you don't feel all that. When you're out in the open, and standing just in an open field and there's nothing to restrict anything from coming at you you feel the full force of it and that was quite a, a rude awakening to to step out of the car and be like oh wow 50 mile per hour winds and snow i'm awake i'm good <laughs> uh, that was uh when i was in denver colorado so that was uh that was a fun time i'll never forget that but i also don't really want to get caught in that again right right i, can, <laughs> I bet that so now with some of these severe weather events you talked about what changes or have you seen any changes over the years and weather that you believe might be due to climate change um I would think that looking at the numerous instances we've seen, for example, of wildfire situation up mm. there in the West Coast, where every year it's gotten more extensive in terms of the, the widespread destructiveness and the overall strength of the fires, the time frame of when the fires occur, because typically there's a fire season and there's not a fire season, but then it seems like the fire season has been going almost year round. Yeah. That's definitely a sign of some interesting things that are setting off alarms out there in the weather world. Also the amount of tropical systems that we've seen come through, whether they've hit the U.S. or not, but just have simply popped up. Part of that is due to advanced technology. We can see these things easier now than we could 20 years ago, but also the ingredients are becoming a little more potent for their development and sustainability. So that way we, we do notice that these storms are packing more of a punch when they do pop up. And also you are looking at winter weather as well, where we do see bouts of cold air that normally don't go in places like they shouldn't be seeing big drops in temperature across the desert southwest and well into florida or big surges of heat all the way up in towards alaska a lot of these things uh, people have been noticing climatologists have been noticing 
coming through over the past several decades. And that's where alarms have been set. Whether you completely believe it or not, that's that's up to the individual. But you can't ignore the information and the science there that shows that we are seeing increases in weather activity and it's not becoming beneficial. It's mostly become harmful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for answering that. All right. With everything that's going on now with the Times, do you feel that it's necessary to have a social media presence for, for your job, whether it's to communicate to the public or, or just in general for your job? Uh, for, for both aspects, I think it's very beneficial, especially in this day and age, on demand, 24 yeah. seven lifestyle that we all live in now. People digest information from so many different outlets, from Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, to the general audience, like my mother and father, they're not really chiming in on the social media apps. They're turning on the TV. So we have to make sure that we cover all outlets and deliver all the information we can as much as possible. And say there's a sporting event or an award ceremony on TV that we can't break into, or the situation is not alarming enough to break into, say you have a tornado potential, but nothing's there yet. We usually say, hey, join us on our Facebook page. We're gonna go live on YouTube, et cetera. You can go ahead and get the information right there. So even if you can't turn the TV and see us, you can watch your sporting event and you can still look on your phone and be like, Okay, I see what they're talking about. Got it. So I think that it's very beneficial for not just meteorologists, but news stations in general to have that social media outlet. So that way you reach as many people as possible, because the ultimate job of us is to keep people safe, keep them informed and make sure they know what they need to know to go about their daily lives. Okay, great. Got it. Now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like? Sure. Can't quite say there's been typical uh, (laughs) going on much this year, but on average, when we are able to be in the studio, and it varies from position to position, but for myself, my, my meteorologist self, get into the studio, you looking at the, the forecast description for the National Weather Service, you start reading over that briefing right there. You're looking at several different computer models, well-known models such as the American model, there is the, the GFS model, the Euro model, um, there is the North American model, several different models we look at, and we all see how they talk about the scenario ahead, whether it's 12 hours, 24 hours, whatever hours out, because every model will show a little discrepancy and try and see which ones agree more so than not with what we're thinking. Once we go through that process, maybe it takes about maybe half an hour to two hours, depending upon the situation at hand and the weather activity that day. Then we start building our graphics. And I typically start off with getting the seven day forecast done mostly because I've run into situations in the past that my computer system has gone down or the you know graphics are locked up. I can't do anything. I always do the seven-day forecast, get that done, save that image. And that way it's a fail-safe that if ever everything goes down, I can always put that up and I can talk about the seven-day forecast for, for days. <laughs> you got to cover yourself. Um, Smart. Once I do that, then I send out a weather briefing to the producers and the management staff to make sure they are all on the same page, that the anchors know what I'm talking about with my forecast. Because we don't have a script, there's a, the prompters there for the anchors and the reporters to, to read their stories, but meteorologists don't have a prompter. Uh, we just go off the top of our head and the graphics help to tell our story, both visually and verbally. So once I go ahead and send that report out, then I'm starting to go ahead and make the rest of my graphics for the show at hand and, uh, and make sure I plug in also all of our social media outlets, try and get a Facebook post out to a tweet out as well, an Instagram story out there, just also 
telling people, hey, join us at noon, for instance, we're about to talk about X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, here's an interesting fact. While the weather is tranquil here in Houston, they got a nor'easter brewing over the northeast. Look at that. For all those snow fans out there, look at this snapshot. So try and cover all different aspects of local, regional, national weather during my shift. And then when the shift is done, sometimes there's a breakdown of a post-mortem meeting, so to speak, of what we had to go through for the day today and maybe follow up to set the stage for the next day. And it all depends on the shift and the show at hand. But once that's all done, then call a day and go home. And if it's an active day, such as there's severe weather moving through or there's a lot of heavy rain coming down, not even severe storms, just rain. We stay on after the show is over because we may do Facebook updates, may jump on in on YouTube, for instance. And then if it's really meriting it, we'll break into live programming. But we typically don't have the current meteorologists leave until the new meteorologist is there. So nice handoff right there. That way there's continuous coverage. And uh, we had, I had to do that several times um, so far this year where I'm like, you know, hey, this is going to be a 15-hour day, I feel wow. like. And here I am. And the next thing you know, we're doing tag team forecasting with the next meteorologist on air. I'm supplying the graphics or tweets or whatever. And then when things will calm down, then okay, I go ahead and call it a day and they can continue to work. <laughs> Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And it seems like you work with anchors a lot more than I, I knew or thought about. For you, when you came into the business, were there any surprises to you? Anything that you didn't really think about that you had to do as a meteorologist? Yeah, I, I would think that there was a couple instances where I was surprised that in the beginning of my career, having to do additional forecasts for additional shows that I wasn't really putting in my mindset, like, oh, I have to cover that. But, you know, you are the meteorologist part of the meteorologist team that someone may randomly ask you, hey, I need to do X, Y, and Z. Can you help me out? And like, no one's coming in for the next shift. Like, all right, I guess I'll do it. So that was like something that like a little bit of a caught my guard, so to speak. And then also when I was starting off, it was having to know various little areas. Everyone has their own little regional uh, neighborhoods with, with you know, their own names and their own town spellings that uh. Uh, might not be pronounced the same way. So I started off my on-air career rather much unconventionally on a national platform at Weather Nation. It was in Minneapolis at the time. And I can remember several different forecasts where I had to cover in the St. Louis suburbs or in the more rural areas of Texas. And I remember a couple of town names I would go ahead and read off for whatever weather the scenario was going on. And then, you know, I get a tweet or an email saying like, hey, you mispronounced that or it's not called that, it's this. And like, I had no idea, but it's good to know. I'm always ready to learn. I'm never one to stop learning, but definitely caught my off guard where I thought I was pronouncing that right. Okay, just not. I learned. <laughs> nice. All right. Now, talking about that at the National Weather Station, mm -hmm. Was there any type of transition doing national weather to local weather in the Houston area? And actually just going from the East Coast to Houston, is there any type of transition or it's just on the same lane and, and an easy transition? Um, yes and no. So mm. with it being an easy transition, it comes along with that, you know, the general gist of how you're going to do your job. Mm. You know, in terms of what forecast data you're going to look at, how you're going to start getting your forecast ready, and then how you're going to present that on air. What was not an easy transition in the beginning, especially, and how it is for, I would say, most meteorologists, depending upon where they go from region to region, is that every part of the country has its own little weather dynamics that you have to learn 
in order to incorporate that into your forecast. And sometimes it may catch you off guard, you know, unless you had a few years under your belt and you're like, okay, I recognize the scenario. Meteorology is all about pattern recognition. I recognize the scenario. I know what's going to unfold. For instance, on the East Coast, we are influenced in the New York City area by the nearby Atlantic Ocean and the Long Island Sound. Storms can play a big factor in terms of what you get for precipitation for rain, sleet, or snow. When I worked in Minnesota, it was all about cold air and the wind chill and not being used to really brutal wind chills, especially Canadian air coming down unimpeded straight from the border. Catch you off guard when you're thinking, oh, my forecast is going to be an overnight low of 32 degrees. Nope, drop that by half. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I know. Living in Colorado and Denver, having to deal with mountain snow, that's a whole different ball game right there. Different elevations, different snowfall rates, oh. different snowfall totals. And yeah, not, not my expertise. I'm willing to say that. that. Like I have my strengths and my weaknesses. Mountain snow forecasting is definitely one of my weaknesses. And then being in the Houston metro area, having to take into mindset the readily available source of all different types of scenarios with the Gulf of Mexico, whether it's introducing more moisture into the air, introducing a chance for seeing storms fire up in the summertime and just hang out nearby, whether it keeps the warmth around right along the coast, does that cold air really surge all the way down to the coast or does the warmth push it back a little by little and there's a boundary right there where you have to determine who's going to be on the cold side of that boundary, who's not, because that could determine how your forecast is going to set up. And then the West Coast, which I'm not too familiar with, they have their own scenario because they have nothing to really go in terms of watching where the weather comes from besides just satellite and radar imagery, satellite imagery mostly, because there's a land out there west of California, west of Oregon, where I can see how the storms are in New Mexico that swing over this way. You're in L.A., no, you just see the satellite imagery and that's about it. So sometimes that could play a little factor right there, at least in terms of my thinking. So West Coast forecasting, I give props to everybody who <laughs> does the forecasting. To me, I'm like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> well, that's got to be tough in general, just uh, East Coast, South, Midwest, everything that you've done. Wow. Okay. And this is a question for me, but can you explain what barometric pressure is? Mm-hmm. Barometric pressure is what we use to describe low, like for instance, low pressure system, high pressure systems. And when we're talking about a rising barometric pressure, that's indicating high pressure is moving in, more favorable air is moving in. Where a picture like a dome, air is nice and easy going inside, and you have relatively clear skies. Any active weather has to go up and over it. Lower barotropic pressure indicating a developing system or a system right overhead and that's when we talk about a low pressure system and that's when you get the chance for cloudiness rain showers snow showers thunderstorms what have you depending upon the weather scenario at the time and also that's when you usually will get it's a temporary thing usually when you have low pressure swings in swings out but in between the low pressure instance being there you'll have winds rushing in or rushing out depending upon how that barometric pressure gradient is between the two systems if it's steep you can get really strong gusty winds coming in behind a storm system. You ever think about when you see like a, hear about a cold front coming through and then the winds start rushing on in mm-hmm. behind it, it gets a little chilly, gets a little dry. We have a strong tight pressure gradient in between those two pressure systems, but that means that high pressure system is right in the coattails of that low pressure system. When it's more of a gentle change going on, that usually means that we have that high pressure system moving on in gradually. So there's a nice gradual change coming across the Houston area, for instance. Okay. Now, so I see how it affects the atmosphere, but can that also affect people as well? 
Um, yeah, I can't personally say, but I've, I've heard that, you know, the, the pressure affects how people's moods are, or right. perhaps it affects like eardrums, for instance, like when you go up in an airplane and like your eardrums get like, you know, ready to pop. Yeah, that definitely is a pressure in motion right there. You can actually experience that change in pressure because when you're going up from the ground level, mm-hmm. high up in the atmosphere, when like commercial jetliners fly, you're going into a low pressure situation up there. Yeah. And thankfully, they're, you know, inside the, the cabin of the plane, it's nicely insulated. But it's as the plane's going up at a relatively quick pace, sometimes the ears have to adapt and your own internal pressure has to adapt as well. And some people look at that type of affliction ground to ground with just storm systems right. coming in. Right. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. That question was a little off. So thanks for answering that. All right. So, so now skills. To me, it seems like communication skills, your public speaking skills, leadership skills, teamworking, those seems like definite skills that are, are needed in what you do. But can you talk about what skill sets and characteristics do you believe are important to be successful in your line of business? You have to be able to be a, a good communicator. I think that's the first and foremost. And, and we are in the communication business. So you not being able to communicate <laughs> kind of puts a, a damper on how you're going to do your job, whether you are a meteorologist, you're uh, the anchor, the reporter, the sports broadcaster, all avenues have to be able to communicate what they are trying to say. So you have to be able to be confident when you are delivering your message, but also make sure that your words aren't getting jumbled, that you can talk clearly and concisely. And I was was always taught by several mentors in the past that always deliver the information as if you're talking to your grandparents. Mm. You, You would talk to them nice and easygoing, calmly. You don't want to get grandpa's blood up or anything. And you just try to explain the situation in a rational manner that they can understand. And then they can also take the information that you are telling them and be able to use it for their own purposes, you know, whether it's going about their day-to-day activities, planning for a trip, planning an event out in the backyard. Have they taken something away from that broadcast? Well, always prepare to deliver your broadcast as if you're talking to grandma and grandpa. Make sure it's nice and easygoing. You know, direct, stern, but also you're showing the chance for having you know, some, some fun with your, your, your words, you know, be able to play off. It's a nice sunny day. Yeah. Joke about it. Why not keep it nice and serious though? When, you know, there's actually active weather going on. And I think also another skill set that, that comes in handy is, is being able to be a good understander of taking the information you have being presented to you, how you can break it down, simplifying mm-hmm. what you have going on, because what you see in terms of the broadcasts out there, you know, for my own purposes, the seven-day forecast, there's a lot of information behind there, but how can I present that to you, keep it simple, get you the information you need to know, and be able to do it in 30 seconds or less? So mm-hmm. you have to be able to be able to be concise about delivering your information. And a lot of that comes from just practice over time that a lot of people on the broadcast industry will start off you know, having to learn the ropes and then over time they get better and better and they are able to hone in on their craft. Okay, great. So communication skills and understanding and explaining the information in a concise way. All right. And great advice by your mentors and how to convey the information to people, to your audience. Hmm. All right. Now, for you, you had degrees in physical science and broadcast meteorology, correct? Okay. (laughs) So, now, is that the typical path for people that are getting into meteorology or is it just sciences, a physics, chemistry, math? Well, what are the typical paths? 
Typically, you'll go down a, a pathway that's generally filled with science and, and math background skills. Whether it's physical physics, I should say, chemistry, they all play a role in meteorology. And since there are several different avenues that somebody can go down for meteorology, whether it's forensic, it is broadcast, it is research, it is commercial. There's several different avenues you can go down, but you always have to have that science and mathematics background to be able to work with the field at hand meteorology. You can always supplement your work with say a business background. You know, that will definitely play a good role with potential meteorology job in the business sector. Or maybe you have some legalities, legal expertise. You can go ahead and do forensic meteorology a little bit more so than the average meteorologist. But meteorology, I always feel is something that you should be able to pair with something else because it's only going to make you a better meteorologist when all is said and done. Got it. All right. Now, can you talk about what you love about what you do? Yeah, I love being able to talk about the big picture. I have coming from starting in a national presence, it was always about the big picture. How is that big nor'easter going to play a role in, in the weather this weekend? How is that big snowstorm setting up across the northern place? Is that hurricane coming into Texas, Louisiana, Florida, anywhere across the Gulf? That's the big picture. And then I, I've always been a, loved telling that story because weather is a story. We start off the beginning, the middle, and the end. And in the end, we typically do show you that seven-day forecast. But how do we get there? And how do we present that information to you that you can follow along with? And that's the goal of a good storyteller, whether you're writing a story or being able to describe a story on, verbally online or on the air. It's how do you start, move along and finish and get the audience to keep following you along that journey. And so I always love doing that. Um, ever since I started doing demo tapes back, oh, 2008, 2009, mm. before I, I got my first job. Actually, no, wait, I'm sorry. It was 2007, 2008, I landed my first weather producing job in New York City. So all the way back then, I had a fondness for telling that story. And think of what else. You know, I love being able to be in the community and being able to be a part of everyone's lives because they may get a chance to see me. I can't see them. And, you know, outside of pandemic situations, being able to go out there and, and meet the people for you know, whatever station event we have going on, whether it's like, you know, the Houston rodeo that we're all there for, or some other big event, being able to see people. And some people we have corresponded with, say it's on Twitter or Facebook, and you put a name to a face like, oh, hey, yeah, I remember you. Thanks for all that, those tweets and the, those photos were awesome. It, it, it establishes that bond and something that we can't do in the studio, but something I take a joy out of by being in the public and being able to be with the people of, you know, whether it's a city, it's a town, it's, it's a region. Um, I didn't get too much of a chance to do that on a national platform, but I enjoyed all my time nonetheless there. And I only think of it as an opportunity to be able to do that on a local setting for a local station such as KHRU. Yeah, great. All right. Now you mentioned the demo tapes. Is that how people normally get into the business? Their first job is create some demo tapes and send them out to different stations? Yeah, back then it was more of a strenuous process and I'm sure people before me can say it was even more strenuous back in the 80s and 90s of how to get that process done. But ultimately it goes on the same methodology. You get in front of the camera, you 
and you try and nail down a forecast that you feel confident about putting out there, whether it takes you five, 10, 15 tries, and you try and accumulate several different versions, several different tapings over time to show all your different sides of you, whether you're talking about snowstorm, rainstorm, sunshine, you're talking with the anchor back and forth. You try and get all that nice mix right there. And you have to take the best clips, put it together into a reel, what we call a demo reel. And then you'd be able to send that to uh, various recruiters or just various stations in general. And back in 2008, I was taking my completed video and putting it on a DVD and sending it out to numerous stations via physical mail. Now I just put it on a website and be like, oh, here you go, here's the link. Yeah. And hopefully you hear something back from somebody. And I'm sure it's probably even easier now. I haven't made a demo tape in a few years, but uh, I'm sure it's, it's even easier now in this digital age. Right, right. Okay, great. All right, now challenges. What challenges are out there for you? Or what obstacles? Or what keeps you up at night? Uh, you know, sometimes working uh, in the various shifts that we have uh, in this business, sometimes working the morning shift, whether it's like the weekend mornings or the weekday mornings, you have to wake up a little earlier than, than the average person. And sometimes you may have something on your mind, perhaps you don't get quite get a chance to really clear your head before you go to bed. You may be thinking like, how am I going to wake up on time? That's one of my biggest fears is sometimes it's like waking up when your alarm says to wake up and you be ready to go to your job. We've all had one or two instances here and there, hopefully nothing more than that, where it's like, oh no, panic. Like you're rushing to get to work because you know, you're running late, you overslept. Yeah. Now I have multiple alarm clocks <laughs> from like, you know, on my watch to my phone. I have a few more redundancies around my bedroom, especially if it's an early shift, very early shift like say like one o'clock in the morning, we have to wake up for, you know, you just want to make sure you're ready, you're refreshed, you're good to go. But that sometimes has kept me up hoping that I wake up on time. And another instance has been just the weather scenario at play. Like if you, you know, we see the forecast coming, we see how situations are unfolding potentially. And we see that tomorrow could be really devastating. Like, oh man, this is going to be a crazy day. Are, are we, are we ready for this? Are, are we prepared the public enough for this? Say it's like yeah. a big snowstorm, for instance. And then just going in there to do the forecast itself. Not only are you busy, the whole newsroom is busy and active. Picture like another Harvey, for instance. That's a crazy frantic scenario right there that has people often up at night, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah on edge. Now, in situations like that, when there is a severe weather and uh, say a hurricane on the way, and you can't be precise, right? So you're, you're making predictions. Yes. And let's say the, the hurricane does veer off and it doesn't hit. What's your mentality after that? Is it great? It didn't hit and I warned the public so it's good. Or are you thinking, I wonder if people are going to be <laughs> upset that, that the prediction wasn't correct? Like, what, what's your mentality when that happens? Um, you know, I, I guess, for instance, Hurricane Laura that was looking like it was going to threaten Houston directly and then end up making that right-hand turn and missed us by about 100 miles and unfortunately went through southwestern Louisiana and hit Lake Charles, uh, devastating the city. I, I, can, I can look at it as just like, you know, it's, it's, it's great that it didn't hit us here in right. Houston, but it's also horrible that it hit them. And I yeah. wish that, you know, I forecast to be like, hey, this thing's going to dissipate right here in the Gulf. Not going to bother right. anybody, but unfortunately it has to go somewhere. And my responsibility is for citizens of Houston. And, you know, I see that forecast, how it's unfolding. Yes, it could come here, but then over time, I'm able to present you better and better news. And I don't like to think of it as like, oh, the forecast failed or right. you know, anything along those lines. I think if like more and more information came in, 
We are now able to deliver you a more precise and more accurate forecast, but we always say prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So that way you are not caught off guard and that way you and your loved ones are able to be safe and sound out of harm's way. And even if you had to board up your house, even if you had to evacuate and you had to leave and nothing really came here besides rain, a little bit of some rain and a little wind, aren't you better for having have gone through that and knowing that everyone's safe and secure, your property's safe and secure, then going, well, storm's going to be here in the five hours. What are we going to do? Yes, I'll just put my hands up. Like, no, no one wants to be caught off guard. And I don't want to have my forecast put anybody in harm's way. So while I think of like, oh, you know, that forecast sucks. That I didn't initially come here, but I'm like, oh, it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a very good thing when it comes to that type of situation. And even more on a more day-to-day basis, say like, you know, the chance for storms is going to come through this afternoon. Is the timing going to be two o'clock to six o'clock? Is it going to be four o'clock to eight o'clock? It's going to be in that window. Could things change between when I got off the air and then throughout the midday hour? Sure. Could there have been some unforeseen element that I, I didn't calculate the time? It's possible. But generally speaking, I'm like, okay, well, I got the afternoon to evening hours down roughly in that time frame. And just tell you that keep the umbrella by your side because I don't know where you're going to be in the city. I don't know what your plans are, but you always just want to be prepared. And that's the biggest thing I can take from my forecast is like, well, at least I got everybody prepared. And I don't ever like to think of a forecast as uh, um, being a bad one. You know, someone got impacted somewhere across right. the area. Right. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And hey, Addison, we're at the end of the interview. I want to head to this quick hitter session where I'm going to ask you questions for sure. fun to get to know you a little bit better. But before we get there, just want to find out if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about, or if you feel like I might've left off asking you any questions. No, no, not, not really. I think you cover everything. This was a wonderful interview, and uh, I think that it was great to, to do this. And I think uh, we covered a lot of topics. I guess one thing that we could touch on before we wrap things up is where do meteorologists go when they retire? Because mm, um, yeah. that, that's something that you know I have given myself thought. I mean, granted, I've, I've only been in this business for a little over 10 years, but then what do you do afterwards? say you want to wrap up when you're in your 50s or 60s or whatever, and you still want to do more things. Most people in this industry have gone down the communications path, whether they are working for a communications company or a, a department of communications, they've done that, or public relations. I've known some people that have gone into you know straight up business dealing with forecasting where they are no longer putting on makeup and putting on a, a shirt and tie. They're now able to work with in a much more relaxed setting, like more business casual setting. So to anybody out there that's looking to be a meteorologist or looking to get into this field, note that there are plenty of options when the camera lights go off. Mm. That's great. Good to know that. All right. So let's go to this quick hitter session. Sure. What is your favorite sports team? <sighs> um well, not, not to uh, anger any local fans. I am from New York City, so right. I am a Yankee fan. <laughs> All right. So Yankees, not the Mets. Yankees. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm a Mets fan, so. No, okay. Oh, okay. Good, good to know. I'm a fellow New York sports fan. Just, you know, knowing where I am and knowing how much the Astros and Yankees have some beef going on. Right. Yeah. I'm on the side of caution, but yes, I, I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be okay, so knowing that you're from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Favorite movie or show? Uh, favorite movie. Oh, there's so many different genres. I'm a big comic book fan, a, a big sci-fi fan, and watching, for instance, just one out of the numerous movies they had. The Marvel Avengers Endgame movie was, you know, mm. definitely up there, one of my favorites. And another favorite that 
I find myself watching every now and then. Forrest Gump. I love that movie. Mm. There's just so much uh, to unpack in that movie that I think they could have done more than the three hours that they had. But uh, yeah, yeah I often find myself watching that. And for TV show wise, um, Parts and Recreation. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I had a chance to you had a chance to binge that show during the pandemic. I, I absolutely loved it, especially season two and season three. They were uh, just off the wall hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Now you said you like sci-fi. Have you watched Altered Carbon? I have not. It's on my Netflix queue. I believe I'm going to try to get to that next. But have you? Yeah, great. And read the book. Great, great. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. All right, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite musical artist or group? Oh, so many to choose from. <laughs> the Fugees. Mm. Nice. Definitely, All right. Definitely find them, you know, jamming out to that every now and then. And also, they don't play too often anymore, but uh, Lincoln Park, they played a couple of times when I was um, in Buffalo, University of Buffalo. So I remember hearing those songs live and I'm like, okay, I can always hear those songs in my head. But yeah, the, those two, yeah, definitely stand out. All right. I, I try to cover a wider range of musical flavors. Yep. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Mm. St. Martin. Yeah. Um, up there in, in the Caribbean, the Caribbean islands. I've been there three times, once on a cruise, two for uh, actual land dwelling vacations, I should say. Mm -hmm. I actually love the island so much to see and do around it. And outside of a hurricane, there's no weather concerns. That's, that's the right. general gist of things for the entire Caribbean. It's just like, eh, it's easy. <laughs> Everyone has a relaxed lifestyle until there's a Cat 4 hurricane coming. They're like, okay, lock everything down. So right. I like to just take a step away from that area. And also um, I had the chance to go in last September, Iceland. Absolutely oh. love that country. Yeah, I definitely implore anybody that has that thinking in mind, if they want to go, go, you'll love it. I keep hearing that. Okay. All right. And then St. Martin, you went there for a cruise, loved it so much. You went back a few more times. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I gladly will go again. <laughs> and favorite food or drink? Uh, favorite food. Lasagna. Mm. That is up there. In fact, I think I'm going to be making that tonight for dinner. I have to go run the store after this. And uh, short ribs. I absolutely love short ribs. You know, whenever I get the chance to go home, my mom usually makes an amazing short rib dish. So I, I can never turn that down. Um, <laughs> and drink wise, I'm going to go non alcoholic here and I'm going to go ahead. Dr. Pepper. Yeah. All right. And I love short ribs. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, Addison, this has been great. I learned a lot with this and congrats on all that you're doing. Thank you for keeping us prepared. And like you said, making sure that we're not caught off guard and not caught off guard. We're prepared and when we're safe with the work that you're doing. So keep doing it. Thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. And can you let people know where they can go to get more information? Sure. You can reach me on my social media accounts. I have the same username. It's at Addison Green WX capital A-D-D-I-S-O-N, capital G-R-E-E-N, capital W, capital X. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm usually, eh, I kind of vary my, my usage between those three, but I'm definitely more so Instagram and Facebook than Twitter. Twitter is mostly for just like tweeting out weather stuff. Mm. And then uh, I am on KHOU channel 11 here in Houston, weekend mornings, uh, Saturday, it's at uh, six to seven, nope. Yep, I'm right. Six to seven. <laughs> Sorry, we just had to reach that times change uh, a month ago. So mm. six to seven and back on at nine to nine thirty. And then on Sundays, we are on six thirty to eight. And my schedule varies during the week, but typically it's Monday through Wednesday, 
the noon show and the 411 at four o'clock. Nice. Great. Thanks a lot, Addison. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Adolfo, for, for having me here for your podcast. And this was a wonderful time. And, you know, God, we wouldn't mind doing it again if you ever have the, the need for another interview. Oh, perfect. Thank you. All right. Have, have a good one. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.